And we're glad to have our guests here today. There's a lot of great churches in our area, and we're thankful that you chose to worship with us today. As you can see on the screen, our church has been in, and we're about halfway through 40 days in the Word. And uh, if you want to read with us, you can jump right in where we're at. You can find one of these reading guides at the Welcome Center as you walk out today. And uh, if, uh, if you've fallen behind and it's real easy to do, just start where you're at. And then at the end, you can pick up the days that you're missed. But just because you miss a day or two or you get behind, don't stop, okay? Everybody say, don't stop. Don't stop. Okay, we all get behind, right? Stuff happens. Life happens. But don't stop being in the Word. And I'm just going to tell you, the last few weeks, we've had some incredible services here. And I believe it is directly connected to us being in the Word together. Amen? I sense a difference in the house when we're fasting together, when we're reading together, when we're praying together. And there's just something about unity that happens when we are all in step. So keep at it. I also want to mention that this Thursday, September the 1st, that's right, September's here. Where did the rest of the year go, y'all? I mean, that happened fast, didn't it? But this Thursday, September 1st, we begin two ministries at our church that we have been praying about, and these are answers, of, answers to many years of prayer, grief share, and divorce care. And if you've experienced uh, either, if you've experienced the loss of a loved one, and that's something you're still going through, can I just be your pastor for a minute and tell you, you need to be at this class on Thursday night at 6.30. You shouldn't say, I'm not ready yet. You're, you're, you're never going to feel like you're ready to sit in a room like this. It's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a little uncomfortable at times. But here's what I know as a pastor. I know that many times when I sit and talk with people and I pray with people, I feel so inadequate to be able to help people through whatever it is that they're facing. And that's why a ministry like this is so important because both of these ministries come along with resources to help people have hope and encouragement to be able to move forward in their lives, not forgetting the, uh, the things. And not, not, this is not meant to, to, for you to just forget your loved one. This is meant for you to move forward in life with that loved one and in mind. And uh, I am so confident that, that grief share and divorce care is going to be a powerful ministry in our church and if you've not signed up yet, you can do that online. If you're not an online person, just show up Thursday night at 630 in the Life Center. We're going to take care of you. All right, here we go. Joshua chapter 7. Now, to understand what we're about to read this morning, church, we've got to remember where we've been. Last week, we left Joshua and the Israelites after an amazing victory. They have just conquered Jericho. It's the first city that they came to as they began to take over the promised land. And they have experienced an amazing victory. As a matter of fact, the very last verse in Joshua chapter 6 says this. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. That's pretty cool. I mean, everybody has heard what's going on with Joshua and the Israelites and then we turn to chapter 7, and chapter 7 starts with this word. What's that first word you see on the screen? But. That means there's a turn of events in the story. And y'all, this is a big turn of events in this story. Let's look at it. Now, everybody sit up straight, lean in, and listen, because I'm going to read the entire chapter. 26 verses, okay? Can you handle it? Good, good. I know you can handle it. But I want you to hear the whole story because you need to know the whole story before we unpack it. Okay, so they've just won at Jericho, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Now, you'll remember that last week we said that one of the rules of engagement was that when they went through the city, everything that they found was going to give, be given as an offering to God. They couldn't keep any of it. But Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Notice it's not just Achan, it's Israel. 
Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. So what's this about? They're on to the next city. They've taken Jericho. Now they're going to Ai. They returned to Joshua. They said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it and do not worry the whole army, for only a few people will live there. So about 3,000 went up. But there's another one. They were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and all the other people of the country will hear about this and they'll surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? And then the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen. They've lied. They've put them in their own possession. That's why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever's caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. You still with me? Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward tribe by tribes and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward and the Zerites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zerites come forward by families and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel and honor him. Tell me what you've done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan replied, it is true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and watch this. Don't miss this. They ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua, and all the Israelites spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will be in trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Father... We thank you for your word and how it brings encouragement and hope. But God, often it brings conviction. 
And Lord, that's the story that we unpack today. So I pray today that you would anoint me to be able to share what you've laid on my heart today. Anoint your people to hear it. May we be challenged, convicted, and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if I asked you this morning to think about things that boost your confidence, what things come to mind? I think one thing I immediately think about that's a confidence booster for me is a compliment. Anybody like to receive a compliment from a spouse or a friend or a boss or a child? Compliments immediately boost our confidence. Good news about your children will boost your confidence, doesn't it? A job promotion at work or recognition or scholarship, you lose a little weight, you can fit in that outfit, you used not to be able to fit into it, boost your confidence. Your team finally wins the World Series and the National Championship in the same year. Anybody strutting a little bit more this year? Uh, Braves and Bulldogs fans coming into the season? Yeah, your confidence is boosted, but what are confidence busters? What are some of those confidence crushers out there? Well, the opposite is true as well. Criticism is a big confidence crusher. You, you're critical if, if your spouse is critical of you or your boss or, or if you gain weight and can't fit in those clothes or if your team doesn't win or your kids are always getting in trouble. Those things can crush your confidence. Well, over the last few weeks as we've been going through this story of Joshua, what we've seen is a group of people whose confidence continues to build. In chapter 1, we saw God tell them, the land is yours, go take it, be strong and courageous. In chapter 2, there's a spy mission that's very effective that leads them into chapter 3 and 4 where they cross the Jordan River at flood stage with nearly 2 million people. The, an amazing miracle that these people are seeing with their own eyes. In chapter 5, they know battle is ahead, so they begin to prepare for battle. And then last week, their confidence goes through the roof as they are very meticulous to do everything that God has told them to do, and they conquer the city of Jericho. Their confidence is at an all-time high. Even Scripture says so. We read it a moment ago in Joshua 6. It says, the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. So this land that God has told them is theirs and they're going to go town by town, city by city and take all of these towns. God has said, it's yours, Joshua. And not only is it yours, but the newspapers and the social media reports are getting out and everybody has heard what happened, what went down at Jericho and they're all scared. Anybody ever been scared? I mean, they're all scared and afraid of Joshua. But then we get to chapter 7 and the word, but. And as we read the story a moment ago that kind of leaves us quiet as we are right now. And thinking, wow, it's kind of a heavy story. It is a heavy story because this group of people who were so confident and so 
excited and moving forward. Their confidence has crushed, been crushed. They've experienced defeat and deception. And they find themselves in a place where they've never been. And instead of being strong and courageous, they are weak and defeated. Anybody ever been there before? Anybody ever been in a place where you felt strong and courageous in your walk, in your faith, and then something happened, and all of a sudden you suddenly feel weak and defeated? Anybody ever been there before? Yeah, yeah, we've all been in those places before. So we can understand how Joshua and the Israelites felt. It was in that place that Joshua learned some very valuable lessons Two weeks ago, we talked about Joshua's battle plan. Last week, we talked about Joshua's pregame speech before Jericho. Well, today we're going to talk about Joshua's lessons learned. And here's what he learned. He learned three lessons about disobedience and three lessons about obedience. And that's what we're going to unpack today. The first thing he learned was this lesson about disobedience that says disobedience affects others. Disobedience affects others. So we have one person who was unfaithful. God says, go through the city. When you gather all the, all the spoils of war, nobody can keep them for themselves. You're to bring all those things back. You're going to pile them up and you're going to burn them as a first fruit sacrifice. But this one man named Achan and we're talking like nearly 2 million people. But one guy, have you ever heard of one apple that spoils the bunch? This is Achan. And he sees a robe and a bar of gold and a few pieces of silver. And he piles them in his, in his, in his bag and in his clothes. And he goes and hides them under his tent. He knew he was doing something wrong because he had to hide it. And as a result, Achan's disobedience had a domino effect. Have you ever seen this happen before? One person's disobedience affects a lot of other people. So that's what happened with Achan. Look at what happens. Verse 1 says that the Lord's anger burned against Israel. The army of Israel, they're, they're routed, they're embarrassed. 36 men lose their lives in verse 5, we find. And then in verse 24, ultimately what happens, Achan and his sons and his daughters and everything he owned is burned and stoned as a result, Joshua's first lesson learned was that disobedience, even by one person, affects everybody. And in a room of this size this morning, I know that there are people in this room, you have personally been affected by the disobedience of other people. Perhaps it was an abusive parent or a family member or a friend and the way they treated you or the way you were raised because they lived a disobedient life outside of the parameters of the Word of God, it greatly affected you. Maybe you've been in a, a toxic relationship with someone who was far from God and their disobedience and lack of self-control and lack of following the Word of God affected your life as well. See, there's a reason why Every platform on this campus, we say the same thing. The scripture says not to be unequally yoked in relationship with people who are away from God. That means we're not to date people. We're not to marry people. We're not to be into business with people who are far from God. Are you awake? 9 a.m. Just give me a lightweight amen right there. Okay, I know we're all stunned because of reading verse 7, chapter 7, but, but, but hear what I'm saying today. And if you and any, anybody in your life has, has been affected by the disobedience of somebody else, maybe you've been one of those domino effects. Maybe you've had an, had an Achan in your life who did something that caused the dominoes to fall for your family. Here's what I want to say to you today is that you have a choice to make that the way you raise your family and the way you lead your family and the way your marriage and your home is going to be is going to be different than the way the dominoes fell for you. You have a choice to make in the people you allow into your life and the relationships you allow in your life to live in obedience to God. Now, it's interesting to note this isn't an additional point, but it's, it, it kind of falls under this umbrella that Achan's sin and disobedience didn't affect Israel immediately. 
Now you would have thought, follow me, that as he runs through the city and he starts stealing those things and he's putting them in his jacket, that immediately the war would have turned left, right? That right then they would have started losing. But for whatever reason, they continue to win. And they win victorious. They have, a, they have an after party. I mean, they, they're celebrating. I mean, the word's getting out on the street that Joshua and the Israelites, they're a coming to a town near you. But when they come to the next town, Ai, they fail in their mission because of one man's disobedience. And I don't know if that was days or weeks or months. We don't really know in the scripture. But here's what we know. You think you can hide sin, but it's eventually going to come out. You think you've got it hidden under your tent. Well, we won that battle. It must not have been that big of a deal that I stole that. Achan's thinking, hey, maybe, maybe I made it through. But then when that first defeat came, can you imagine Achan thinking, oh my goodness, I wonder if I had anything to do with this. Hey, listen, disobedience affects others. So the lesson we need to learn today is that we've got to distance ourselves from those relationships of those toxic people in our lives. Amen? We talked about it a few months ago with, jo with, uh, with uh, not Joshua, but with um, Jonah. I got all my J's. We got Jesus and Jonah and Jericho. I got a lot of J's in my head. But with Jonah, he, had to, he was thrown off the boat because he was a toxic person to that boat. And we said that sometimes when you got people in your life who are causing negative domino effects in your life, you need, to, you need to get them off your boat. Amen. So Joshua learned this lesson. Disobedience affects others. Here's the second thing you learn. Disobedience depletes courage. So Joshua and Israel, they were a strong and courageous people, Right? They were riding high on their victory, and then they lose to Ai. There was no reason why they should have lost to this, to this little city, but they lose. And look how one man's disobedience, which leads to defeat, depletes their courage. In verse 5 it says, At this the hearts of the people melted in fear. They are terrified. And then verse 6 says, Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down on the ground before the ark. And then we hear Joshua later on in verse 7, he says, If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Who does this sound like? This sounds an awful lot like his ancestors, the Israelites, who were always telling Moses, if only we had stayed in Egypt. Just nod at me if you remember that. Okay, sounds, kind of sounds familiar. But y'all, we've not heard this type of discouragement or fear or worry from Joshua at all. I mean, Joshua's been the strong and courageous guy. He's been out front. He's been the leader. But now he's on his face. And hey, I'll give him, I'll give him hey, praise for that because he knew where to go, right? He goes to the ark. He gets before God. He's on his face and it's in that moment. It's like he says, look, if we, maybe we should just stay on the other side. Maybe I missed this. And then he says... God, listen, I don't really know how to say this. I don't even think Joshua was, was comfortable saying it. But he's like, what's going to happen to your fame if we continue to lose like this? Disobedience depletes courage. They lost 36 men that day that they shouldn't have lost. And disobedience will not only deplete courage, it'll give birth to other unhealthy attitudes. Disobedience will produce fear and worry and doubt and questions. It will produce this domino effect once again of negativity. Well, if this happened, then this will happen. Anybody ever played that game before? Just give me a little nod. Well, if this happens, then this is going to happen. And because there was disobedience, then courage, the courage level starts to go down. And Joshua learned when there's disobedience in the camp, it affects others and depletes courage. See, here's the thing I know. It's true in my life. It's true in your life. When I walk outside of the will of God, when there's unrepentant sin in my life, when I'm doing things that I know I shouldn't be doing, my courage level drops. Y'all ain't going to say nothing on that, okay? Because we're getting right up in everybody's living room right now. 
But that's the fact, isn't it? You know when you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. When you've said something you're not supposed to say. When you're outside of the scripture and the will of God for your life, what happens to your courage? It's gone. You don't have the courage and the, the energy and the oomph and the strength that you normally have. Why? Because we say it all the time around here. We have an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy and what he wants to do is to get you to, to look at something that, that kind of catches your eye. That was the whole thing with Achan, right? Something along the trail caught his eye. It pulled him this way. He should have been conquering, but instead he started taking things that he shouldn't have been taking. He got his eyes on something that his eyes shouldn't have been on. And now it has affected the entire nation. And the enemy wants to get us off track because he knows if he can get us to take one step into that sin and then another step into that sin, that not only will we, will we be pulled back into some attitudes and actions and thoughts of sin, but also our courage and our strength is going to be depleted. And Satan, he, he's really good at this. And, and, and you guys know this is true because the way Satan works, he'll get us to feel guilty. And what does guilt do? Guilt just makes us do even more sin. Well, I'm guilty now. You ever been in that situation? Ever, ever had, a, had, had one of those weekends where you just started, you made one bad decision? Well, I'm here. Might as well be here for a while. It's, this is going to be the weekend that I, I, I slipped up and looked at porn on Friday night. Now I'm going to look at porn all weekend because I slipped and I'm going all weekend. And guilt leads to more guilt. But here's what, how the Holy Spirit works the Holy Spirit works that it's not guilt, but it's conviction. See, conviction works in my life that the first time I step into that, the Holy Spirit says, no, sir, pal, that's wrong. You need to be more like Joshua and on your face in front of the ark asking God for forgiveness and to get this right. The enemy just wants to pull you more and more into that sinful situation where the Holy Spirit's conviction comes and says, hey, I love you. Let's make this right. Let's build your courage back up. So disobedience, lesson learned, it'll, it'll deplete our courage. It will affect other people. But here's the other thing that, that we learned. Disobedience cripples effectiveness. Because look, they, they checked out this, this city of Ai. And, uh, and it was not supposed to be a big deal. I mean, would you say that Joshua and his army were effective in taking over Jericho? Yeah. Were they effective in crossing the Jordan River in chapter 2? Absolutely. I mean, these guys are on a roll. So he does what he's done before. He sends spies. They check it out. They say, hey, man, this is an easy one. No need to send but just a few thousand people. Everybody else can stay at home and, and sit back and watch Sports Center today. This is not a big deal. Just, you know, th this is going to be an easy one. And they go in and they look at what the scripture says in verse two, uh, 4 through 5. It says they were routed, they were chased, and they were struck down. What should have been an easy battle wound up to be an incredible loss. See, disobedience leads to retreat rather than progress. Don't miss that disobedience leads to retreat rather than progress I should be moving in this direction but when I'm disobedient all of a sudden I'm I'm walking backwards one step forward and two steps back anybody ever heard that one anybody ever done that one yeah yeah you know what I'm saying and disobedience will cause loss no matter the size of the battle sometimes we're like uh, oh, this isn't that big of a deal I really, really don't need to be as obedient or in, in line with the Word of God because this thing isn't that big of a deal. No, every situation, every battle is a big deal. Every battle you face, small or big, is an opportunity for the enemy to take you out. So we've got to be aware that, that when we're disobedient, it cripples our effectiveness. Listen to what God says. I mean, these are the words of the Lord to Joshua. In verse 12, he says, This is why the Israelites can't stand against their enemies. They turned their backs and run because they've been laid, made liable to destruction. He said, you're my people. You're on the run. You should be running toward the battle, not away from the battle. But because of disobedience, you can't be effective to do what I've called you to do. Disobedience will cause us to lose easy battles that we should win without any problem. It's like what we talked about a while ago, the confidence boosters and the, the confidence busters. Those things that build our confidence and crush our confidence and win when disobedience and sin is in our lives, it leads us on the run and routed and struck down. Instead of running toward the enemy, we run in fear. 
And again, the lesson learned here is that yes, sin has a shine. Sin has that pull like it did for Achan to grab that thing that he was told, do not take any of this for your own. You help us gather it, we're bringing it all back and we're going to burn it as a sacrifice unto God. But sin has a shine, right? If it, if it didn't have a shine, it wouldn't pull us toward it, right? So sin has this shine, but in the end, sin is, is death. It, it, it's cancerous. It's crippling. It depletes our courage and cripples our effectiveness. We wind up losing small battles when we're disobedient. So this is what we've learned in disobedience. Joshua's learned that disobedience affects others, disobedience depletes courage, and disobedience, disobedience cripples effectiveness. So how did things change? How did they move from, obe- from disobedience to obedience? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because in Joshua chapter 7, verse 10, the Lord speaks. Let's see what God says. He says, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? He's saying to Joshua, there's a reason, pal, that all this is happening. Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen. They've lied. They've put them in their own possession. Isn't it interesting that God says they, 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 they? Why didn't he say Achan, 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 Achan? It's because he viewed the entire nation as one. They were all his people. They all had to get it right. The standard was high. This is why the Israelites can't stand against their enemies, God says. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. And look at verse 13. He says, here's the answer. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. Because this is what the Lord God of Israel says. There are devoted things among you, Israel, and you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Wow, that's a whole sermon right there, that last sentence. You and I cannot stand against our enemies until we remove the dead things in our lives, the sinful things in our lives. Amen? So we read earlier what happened to Achan and his family. And that's hard to read, y'all. I mean, if it was us, again, we'd be like, okay, let's take care of Achan. But why does his sons and daughters have to die? Why do all the things that he has has to have to be destroyed? Here's why. Because the Lord was setting the bar high. He was saying to his people, you are entering a land of people who are godless people. The sin of the Canaanites, the two greatest sins of the Canaanites was sexual perversion and child sacrifice. Sounds a little bit like the good old U.S. of A. right now, doesn't it? We'll, we'll hold that over here for another time. And we wonder why were they called to annihilate them with such violence? Because these were godless people. They were sacrificing their children. They were creating perverted ways to to explore their sexuality. And God said, you've got to wipe them off the face of the earth because if you don't, they will influence you. And so he says, you're a people who are called to obedience. I'm going to give you this land, but it's going to be on my terms. I've made you a promise. And so the first moment that disobedience comes, the Lord acted strongly and swiftly. And watch this. His purpose in disobedience is the same for us and our children with discipline. The purpose of discipline is always to turn disobedience to obedience. Are you with me, parents, today? Let me talk to the parents and the grandparents in the room this morning. Every parent in the room can identify with this, right? Is discipline easy? No. Discipline's hard. It's one of the most difficult things you do as a parent and a grandparent. You know why? Because sometimes you feel like you're too hard, don't you? And sometimes you feel like you're too easy, don't you? And then if you have multiple kids, my goodness, every one of them requires a different playbook. I mean, discipline with kid number one doesn't work with discipline number thir- kid number three. Can I get a better amen this morning? I, I mean, oh, wow, that was the best amen I've had all day. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And you don't really know what to do, you know? Can I spank them or will I go to jail if I spank them? Some of you are like, hey, just send me to jail. I will spank my kids, you know? <laughs> Do I put them in time out? Do I take, you know, when they're a teenager, oh my goodness, it gets even harder. What do I do? Take the car, take the phone, 
tie them up, lock them in the basement. What would I need to do? What, take away their shoes, the keys, whatever. Discipline gets to be very challenging the older our children get. But we know that the purpose of discipline, it's on the screen, look at it, is to turn disobedience into obedience. And it's amazing how this works. I was having a conversation with you, Steve, just a few days ago about discipline. I had another conversation with somebody. I've had multiple conversations over the last few weeks with people about discipline. And, and, and no matter what season or stage of life is, good parents will still discipline, right? Is God our father or not? Yeah. And so God as father sees us as his children and his goal for us is to turn disobedience into obedience. If you've been reading in, in Fierce 40, through the Proverbs, the Proverbs are very clear about this. Let's, let's just take a quick look. Proverbs 13, 18, whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Proverbs 19, 18, and 20. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you'll be counted among the wise. Proverbs 94. Blessed is the one of you, blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law. You grant them relief from days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. And then, way over in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says this, Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father, addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure discipline, hardship is discipline. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected him for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live they disciplined us for a little while as they thought was best. But God disciplines us, what y'all, for our, in order that we may share in his holiness. There it is. The goal is to get us from disobedience to obedience. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. <laughs> Can I get an amen to folks who were spanked? But it's painful. But later on, you act like somebody with some sense. That's the L-I-V, the less version. However, later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace who, who have been trained by it. You tear that tail up, you'll have some peace in your house. Can I say that on Sunday morning? Here's, here's the situation, though, with this verse that, that confuses us. Well, well, Achan didn't get a second chance. This is Old Testament, y'all. This is a God who was setting the standard for a group of people, as I said, and I won't rehash it, who are about to go make war with people who are extremely godly, godless, and, and the Lord was trying to send a message. Do you think he sent the message loud and clear? Absolutely. I'm afraid that had Achan been given a second chance and been disciplined by Joshua, perhaps he would be like a lot of people are today and if he would have received some discipline from Joshua, he would have said, well, I'm going to go change tribes. I'm going to go find another church, another tribe where they don't speak the truth and where they don't preach discipline and where there is no accountability. I saw this quote a week ago and I thought, wow, this is perfect for where we're going. This is going to sting but I want you to hear it. Accountability is not church hurt. Church hurt is real. 
And there are some of you here today who are part of our church because of church hurt somewhere else. But accountability is not church hurt. Accountability and discipline is scriptural. What's the goal of discipline and even church discipline? It is to move a person from disobedience to obedience. I've been in situations that were incredibly sticky and incredibly uncomfortable. And I spent a lot of time praying over those situations. And I've been lied about, talked about, when I know I handled a situation with discipline correctly. I've seen that happen to pastors and friends that I've worked for and with. The purpose of discipline is always to turn disobedience into obedience. And yes, is accountability even done wrong sometimes in church? Absolutely. We're called to share the truth in love. But if you go to a church and they don't ever talk about sin and hiding things in your tent and you're never called out on anything, you probably need to go find a different church. Because the gospel is the good news. The good news about what? The good news that we have been saved from sin. And so if we don't have the guts from this platform or in our small groups or in accountability to see sin and call it out in a loving and corrective way that leads people to obedience, then we're not fulfilling the full gospel that we've been called to fulfill. Does discipline hurt that rear end? Absolutely. Does it hurt when somebody sits across the table with you and in love says, listen, I'm seeing this and I want to hold you accountable. You need to get back in line. That's not that nobody enjoys that and walks out and says, well, let's go get a pizza now and hang out. That stings. It hurts. But discipline does hurt. But discipline always is there to move us out of what we're doing that keeps us away from where we should be and who we should be to who God has called us to be. Amen? Man, I know that's tough. And this is a tough passage, but we need to see how it actually applies to our lives. So there's three more lessons real quick that Joshua learned about obedience, okay? He learned several things about disobedience, but watch what he learns about obedience. He learns next that obedience precedes victory. So how did things turn around? Okay, God spoke to him and he said, you need to consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourselves. You can't stand against your enemies until you remove them. And so what did, what did obedience look like for Joshua? It meant repentance. It meant consecration. That word consecration right there in Scripture in the Hebrew is the word kodesh. And it means to sanctify, to prepare, to dedicate, to be separate. God's saying, look, you need to separate yourself. You need to commit yourself. And that's what repentance does. Listen, everybody, when we're making things right with God and we're, we're on our face before God and we're confessing our sins before God, that's exactly what consecration is. It's saying, I'm setting myself apart from th these things. I was in this boat, but I'm getting out and I'm getting back into Jesus' boat. And I'm committing myself and setting myself apart from those things. Now, consecration was not new to the Israelites. I mean, they did this before they crossed the Jordan. They did it before they went to Jericho. And they knew that victory, as we said last week, was dependent upon obedience. But anybody know that we're talking about discipline day. Sometimes we have to learn the hard way. And sometimes it takes multiple times before it gets through our thick skull. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody have some kids who multiple times, anybody was that kid who got multiple beatings before you got it in your head? But Joshua's lesson learned was, listen, obedience precedes victory. If I'm going to turn this around, if we're going to go back into Ai and take the city as they did in chapter 8, then some things have got to change. And listen to your pastor. There are things in your life that you will not have victory over until you change something. Until you remove something. Until you remove someone. 
until you throw some crap that's in your refrigerator that you need to stop drinking in the trash. Until you get rid of some sights and some garbage that you've been looking at and you get rid of those things in your life, you're not going to have victory until you walk in obedience. If I'm going to experience victory in my life, I must be obedient to this book. That's what Joshua learned. Secondly, fifthly rather, second obedience lesson is obedience restores relationship. This is the beautiful part of the message today because it's all been kind of tough and it's been hard to hear. Not really easy to preach either. But here's where it turns because once they did what God told them to do with Achan... Then look at Joshua chapter 8. We've not looked at this today. Then, after all that happened, the Lord said to Joshua, say it with me, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Does that sound familiar? Wow, y'all, he's saying, hey, we're going to go back to chapter 1, okay? We, we had a hiccup, we had a bump in the road, but I want to tell you again, buddy, I'm with you. You did it the right way. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. There was a failure. There was sin in the camp. You made it right. Get back up on the horse. Get the army. Go up. Take AI for I have delivered it into your hands. And just like I told you about Jericho, you're going to take the king. You're going to take the people. You're going to take the city. You're going to take the land. It's yours. What was the turnaround? The turnaround was that they were obedient. And when we are obedient, the relationship is restored. Go back to what we said a few minutes ago. The purpose of relationship, the purpose of discipline rather, is to move a child from disobedience to obedience. And the goal of any parent in discipline is to get that child to change that bad behavior, that wrong behavior, that, that harmful attitude and then in discipline, if you're really good at discipline, you're good at two things. Not just whooping that rear end or however you discipline, but having the follow-up conversation that explains, this is why we did it. I love you. I'm still on your team and I'm your biggest fan. Don't discipline without the second part. That's how God did it. God disciplined and then he restored the relationship with them. Look at this. I was doing a, man, this is so good. I've waited all week to get right here. I was doing a little study this week on discipline, little word study, and I found myself in Revelation, and I'm like, what is in Revelation about discipline? Watch this. Revelation 3.19, the Lord says, Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and what? Repent. Listen at that. The Lord Jesus says, if I love you, I'll rebuke you. I'll discipline you. I want you to repent. I want you to make things right. But I wonder if anybody in the house knows what the next verse is in Revelation. Don't show it yet. What the next verse is in Revelation 3 verse 20 is. It's a verse that probably everybody in the room has heard, but you never connected it to discipline. All right, look at it again. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repeat. And then Jesus says, here I am. My goodness gracious. Oh, let that hit you like it hit me sitting in my office this week. Here I am after discipline. After rebuke, after repentance, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. I'll eat with that person and they with me. Discipline restores that relationships. Obedience restores that relationship. And this beautiful picture we have here is of a Jesus who says, listen, I have a high standard. I'm calling you to something greater than yourself that you can only do through me. I will rebuke you. I will 
discipline you. You will repent. And then this is what you will find. You will not find that I have left you because I've promised never to leave you or forsake you. But I am back at the door, knocking on the door, saying, if you'll let me in, I'll come in. Give me that verse again. If you'll let me come in, I'll come in and we'll sit and we'll have a meal together. Oh, nothing in this planet says relationship like eating a meal together. Am I right or am I right? Imagine Thanksgiving without the meal. Imagine Christmas without the meal. Imagine even Easter Sunday without the meal. Imagine even the business transaction without the meal. Imagine the first date without the meal. Imagine the wedding reception without the meal. Some of the daddies are like, boy, I sure wish I could because that would have been a lot cheaper if I'd have had crackers and cheese like we did in the 80s. Right, Brother Brad? Can I get an amen over there? All right, Brother Bill back there with three daughters. Amen. I have bigger amen. Relationship. A meal says relationship. Do you see this? Is this blessing you like it blesses me? To see that Jesus not only just wants to say, I'm done. I'm done with you. He says, no, this whole process is to get you into a place where I can get back at the table. And we can share a meal. The message, of this, the message version of this says to share a meal together. As friends, so obedience precedes victory. It restores relationship. And Kevin, if he, if you can hear me, if you can come in and start playing, finally, what it does is it produces reward. Now, watch this. Chapter eight, verse one and two. The Lord says to Joshua, "Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you. Go up and attack Ai, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai." the people, its city, and the land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to what, somebody? And its king. Except, watch it, that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. When they did it God's way, they were rewarded. The first time God said, give me the first battle. Give it, give it all to me first. And then from here on out, every other battle, you're going to take the plunder. You're going to take that gold and that silver and that robe and those, those livestock. It's going to be yours. And Joshua learns the lesson here that obedience produces reward. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in your lives. That when we walk in obedience to God's word, he will openly reward us. Has anybody seen that true in your life? Anybody, when you walk in obedience to God's word, he will reward you. Opposite truth too, right? Anybody seen that when you walk outside of God's word, it's like everything just is kind of a mess? That's because God doesn't bless when we're outside of that. But when we walk in obedience, he will bring that blessing. So six points today, six things Joshua learned. Let's look at them again. Disobedience affects others. Disobedience depletes courage. Disobedience cripples effectiveness. But, here's the, this is a good but. But, obedience precedes victory. Obedience restores relationship. And obedience produces reward. So, the question I close out with today is this. What's in your tent? For Achan, the scripture says it was a robe and a gold bar and some silver that he had disobediently taken and hidden under his tent. So what is it that's in your life today? Is there a hidden sin in your life that nobody knows about but you? Is there unconfessed sin in your life? Are you on a path where you used to be more on the path with the things of God and following Christ, but you've just kind of been doing your own thing and your tent is just, you've kind of got this pattern of disobedience in your life. What's in your tent today? We've heard what's in your wallet, right? This is a, this is a bigger question. Because for Achan, what he hid in his tent cost him his life. He wasn't given the opportunity to make it right. Today, 
you've shown up on Sunday, August the 28th, heard a really hard-hitting message, right? Not the most enjoyable passage of Scripture to read. But the Lord brought you here today for you to say, okay, what is it? What's in your tent? What is that thing that, that you're hanging on to that perhaps you need to surrender over to the Lord today? As the worship team comes in and we stand today, let's pray together. God, I thank you today for the opportunity to share this word. I pray, Lord, today that we would hear the challenge and the conviction that your word brings to us. But Lord, we would also hear the hope and the encouragement that your word brings to us. Lord, that we would hear you at the door knocking, saying that, yes, fellowship may have been broken. Yes, there's something hidden in the tent. But I'm still at the door and I want to make things right. I want to be back in relationship with my children. And so I pray today, God, that as a church body, we would hear that. We would receive that today. And we would be convicted to move forward and make the changes that we need to this morning. This morning, we're going to close in just a moment with this song. And I want to ask you today that I'm not going to ask you to move forward today. I'm not going to ask you to do that because I'm smart enough to know that an invitation like this, probably not going to be a lot of people brave enough to come down. But I am, I believe, discerning enough to know that there's probably plenty of people in this room today who have stuff in your life that is hidden. And I want, I want you to know today that you're in the right place to get that out. Scripture tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all, right, all unrighteousness. I wish that once we became Christians and we put our faith in Jesus that we never had to worry about sin again, but that's not the case. While we are here, we will fight the flesh. And sometimes we, we're leaning in more on things than we should. So as we pray right now, I want to ask you today to pray that prayer of confession right where you're at. I want to ask you to be specific about whatever it is that you're praying about. We talked about the word consecration a while ago, to separate. And I want to challenge you to be specific today and say to God, God, this is what's in my tent this is that hidden sin. And I confess today, I, I hear the discipline of the Holy Spirit through your word today. And I confess my sin. And I ask you to forgive me and help me to walk on the path of holiness and healing with you. Father, right now, all over this room, as we bow our heads in prayer in this quiet moment, I pray, Lord, that men and women, teenagers, boys and girls who may be in the room today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would draw them to a place of repentance. If there's hidden sin or unconfessed sin in their lives, that, Lord, they would confess that sin and receive your forgiveness today. Lord, that they would take what's in the dark and bring it into the light and understand that you want to restore relationship with them. God, we thank you for what you call us to. We thank you that you want to be in relationship with us and you want to make those things right. And we give you praise and glory for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's sing a little bit of this chorus. Oh, come to the altar. Let's sing together. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was born with 
the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Well, let's say, oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Come on, say it. Bow down before Him. For He is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Oh, come. Let's say it again. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, as we go today, I pray of your people. Holy Spirit, I ask you to do your work that I can't do. That this word would walk out and continue to speak and minister to lives. God, that there will be consecration and holiness, purity and walking in truth as a result of hearing your word today. That we will hear that call to be strong and courageous, to be in perfect relationship with you, Jesus. We praise you and we thank you for your grace and your forgiveness and your goodness to us. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being in worship today. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you back here Wednesday night. 7 o'clock for Family Ministries Night. Steve. Oh, sorry.